Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. This is Monica Michelle with Explicitly Sick and I had the incredible opportunity to interview Phoebe Howlett and I have been waiting a long time for this interview. I think we've been trying to get this together since August. So I am very, very excited to bring this to you. One of the main reasons is I want to talk to someone who travels a lot, who has, um, actually I ended up having a lot of the same disabilities and chronic illness. So this episode is full of some really cool tips on how to deal with chronic illness and travel. Phoebe also has an amazing website herself called The Chance of Choice. If you head over to our show notes, I have that linked up. It's really easy to go right there. Also, I have everything linked if you would like to follow Phoebe on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. I believe she is everywhere. Also, if you're looking to follow us at um, Invisible Not Broken, we are um, also pretty much everywhere. We've got a really great YouTube channel, and we have Twitter, and we have Instagram, we have a Facebook group. I'm really hoping to start growing to create more of a community for everyone. Now, some really fun stuff. We are doing a big change this year and we're just starting to put it together and I'm very excited about this. We're going to be making Invisible Not Broken more of a network. So I am really hoping that I'm going to be able to bring and Eva will be able to bring some new really great podcast content from other creators onto Invisible Not Broken. And I am trying to convince Phoebe because I think Phoebe would make a amazing podcast host and I would love so much more content about traveling with chronic illness. So Phoebe will be coming back on to discuss chronic illness and disability and travel next month. So that'll be something to look forward to. If you would like to support our show, we do have a Patreon account. Um, please donate if you can. If you can't and you'd like to support our episodes in other ways, please share these episodes with your friends, your family, and your online community. I hope you enjoy the episode. Have a great week, everyone. I'm so happy you're here, Phoebe. We've been trying really hard to get this going. Oh my God, yes. I know. It's always such an issue because I'm in Australia, so middle of bloody nowhere. Um, And you guys have a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I managed over New Year's I was stuck in the evacuation centre for Christmas and New Year and I was meant to be on holiday and uh, yeah I mean we lost nothing comparative to what other people around us lost but even at the time we were like this is real this is really real and I was with Australians had been through all the various fires before they were like this is like definitely the worst it's ever been. It was I we've been all watching it over here I mean I'm over other side of the world from you and we've been all just watching it just mouths open shot i mean we're i'm over in california where we just had like the wildfires that seemed insane and then your entire continent went on fire yeah (laughs) yeah um and you know what the crazy thing is california and australia share helicopters for firefighting yeah but because but because the seasons are crossing over because of global warming when we were like please can we have the helicopter back to fight fires you guys are like we've still got fires as well so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of my family like are either teachers or firefighters and then oh, over in australia so it's, it's really no way. Yeah. yeah oh Hectic. god so are things getting better over there we we don't so much better okay. so much better so in the last three or four days there has been just a dumping of rain like in all the right ways um and it's just helped so much it's gone from kind of you know 80 fires that are uncontrollable to i think about 13. because you have i think we actually share a lot of the same disorders and you're telling me about because you're in summer right now over there and technically summer yeah you just brought this interesting point of like global warming and chronic conditions and how we're yes yeah like yeah with, yeah, there's an apocalypse. We're going to be the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh Sorry, like I, I read your dark humor thing, and I'm like, oh, we're going to get along great. <laughs> we're going to be fine. And my son always says, he's like, you know what? If there's something that goes down, I'm out of here. I'm the healthy one. I'm out. Like you know, the first of the zombies. You're zombie fit. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, to be fair, with pots, my reaction, and I'm sure you can understand, is like to fall down and go to sleep if there's something like really intense happening it's like i'll just, just lay on the floor yeah <laughs> either it'll happen or it won't. what what can you do yeah exactly 
exactly. Yeah, mine too as well. I very yeah. oh, oh no, I, I just I very selfishly been dying to talk to you because you travel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm bet I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. I, I'm going to be picking your brain through this entire interview because I'm just very curious about how this all works for you. And I of course loved yeah. your show notes. Like I've been reading through your blog and your website and like, deep dives into Great. Twitter and your <laughs> YouTube channel. And if you're listening, please head over to show notes. I have everything linked up right at the top. Um, and your British comedy series. Awesome. So we're laid me off because you had your chronic illness journey start in one of the most interesting and different ways I've ever heard of anyone's starting. Oh, really? That's a new one for me. I've never heard dengue fever as a oh. jumping off point. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, of course. Fab. Um, so, I mean, it all began really when I was in Malaysia, I was on a summer exchange um, and yeah, I got diagnosed with dengue fever, feeling a little, kind of feeling like really intense flu system symptoms, but then just hallucinations in the night. Um, and I was like, whoa, this is big. What's going on? And then my friend in the morning was like, right, your mum's going to contact me. Something's wrong. You said you contacted her. I was like, I did. I don't remember contacting her. I did it while in hallucination. I contacted my dad, apparently. I don't remember that. But he was it's like, yeah, we're going to go to hospital. Um, and then it ended up with two weeks in dengue fever. We're in hospital with dengue fever. Um, and they were very, it may have been the language barrier, but they were very haphazard. They were like, oh, you're so big. You're, you know, white, western, strong woman. Um, and it's, yeah, I got out and I was like, yeah, I might be big, but <laughs> my body's not strong. Um, so I couldn't really walk and really do anything to function to get better. But I had nobody there to help me. Um, at the time because obviously it was an exchange so I had to head home um, and then it just developed from there and I spent kind of my final year of university being perpetually exhausted, headaches, bone aches but I was very very fortunate that the university degree I was doing at the time had such low contact hours. I only had to be in university for 12 hours a week and the content that we were doing I just found very easy to be able to manage with my illness there wasn't any kind of extreme pressure of keeping retaining information otherwise I would have been screwed um but I was very fortunate I mean I'd nap for three hours a day while I was there doing my university degree um I'd faint a couple of times a week and then I, you know it just poured down into depression because you didn't know I don't know what's wrong with me um you know I can't do anything and um so I was diagnosed with depression then. And then finally, once I kind of plowed through university, getting myself through with kind of literally any means I can, um, I dabbled, dabbled in nootropics as well, just to be like, well, if this is life, like no one's saying I'm ill, nothing's wrong with me. Like I'm just gonna crack on. So I dabbled in nootropics there, which probably wasn't the healthiest thing to do uh, with how weak my body was. What's nootropics? Nootropics is, the um, the science and research behind um, intaking drugs, compounds, chemicals to increase your intelligence oh. and your capabilities of learning. Got it. Yeah. Silicon <laughs> Valley over here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're huge, and no doubt taken in the right way. So I take was taking modafinil, or taken in the right way it probably would do wonders. But my body was already kind of at a breaking point. That, so, I mean, it, it made me probably back up to a normal person. But, you know, you didn't have all the, the symptoms of taking medication. Um, but, you know, I'm sure it works for some people. Uh, I don't intend on ever taking it again. Um, but on from that, I just carried on plowing on because, you know, everybody else was healthy. Everybody else was, you know, going about um, being a postgraduate. And I got a job in London in, in the investment world, which was kind of sales and relationship management. And that was probably the tipping point of having to go to, you know, an eight till six working day, uh, my body not being used to it, the pressure of needing to make, I think my target was a hundred, hundred million pounds. So about a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I was 21. Amount of money. <laughs> yeah. I, I started my job when I was 21. Um, so, I mean, I'm very pleased that they saw what, potential I had but at the same time I think it was a combination of that the fact that I hadn't finished 
you know, the symptoms that I had, I kind of, I ignored. I ignored a lot of them because, and also I had no idea of the world of chronic illness at the time. Um, I was completely blind to it. So when someone said, yeah, you, you know, the doctor said you've got depression, it's like, oh, it's depression. Um, but, you know, it's the aches and it's the pains. And once I started seeing that I literally couldn't walk, that I was like, this, something's wrong. Something is wrong. So much more than depression, so much more than just a working day. Um, and from there, then I ploughed on to try and get a diagnosis. And I think it took me over all that six, seven months to properly get a diagnosis of postural tachycardia and ME. Um, and on from there, it was just a slog on from there. Um, but that initial diagnosis was a blessing and a curse because, you know, I loved the fact that there was now a name to it. And then as soon as I said the name, people go, oh, yeah, like that, yeah, that's fine. Like, it's not fine. It's hell. Um, but that's how it goes. That's what happens when you tell people chronic names and they don't know the illness. So, yeah. Especially when you have something like chronic fatigue where everyone's like, oh, mm. you know what fatigue is. You, you, you'll be fine. Like, it, they don't yeah. know what that actually... I'm so glad there's a new name for it instead of chronic fatigue. Yeah. It was like... <laughs> I don't think you know what that is. Like, yeah, I, whenever people are like, oh, you just really, t-. it's like being tired all the time. The first thing I was like, if I was tired all the time, I'd cry with happiness. Oh my gosh. It's not you know, I was a single mom for like a baby and I worked three jobs and I went to graduate school at the same time. I still wasn't as tired as I was when the chronic fatigue stuff hit. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not even tired. It's like your bones are hollowed out and like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's literally it's someone is like shaking your joints and then whenever you do want to go to sleep it's like you're so tired you can't fall asleep because you're in so much pain it's cool so it's absolutely cool and did i see yeah. you're also a fellow zebra was that also on your list i don't think no i'm not oh okay you're not always about that oh so yeah so basically my doctor was like oh you might also have this and i was like is do i am i allowed any more treatment if i get diagnosed with this and um he was like, no, not really. It's kind of the same. I was like, what's the point? He was like, I suspect you have EDS as well. Oh, forgive me. But what does that mean? Um, if you have this, you'll be allowed more treatment? So in the NHS, sorry, in our public health system, um, once you're diagnosed with certain diseases, certain illnesses, they then go, right, we're going to put you on this treatment. But this, until they've got a definitive treatment, they don't offer anything. They oh. offer as much as they can so example when I was diagnosed with ME they immediately said right we need to get you on graded exercise therapy but if I was just diagnosed with POTS they wouldn't have said that that's fascinating yeah. is that why people get yeah. the private insurance also when they're in the that system uh, chronic illness isn't covered by any private health insurance that is fascinating so like, there's so much we need to learn about like the social medicine as we're having this discussion here <laughs> yeah yeah so that up for me you're more than welcome yeah so he was like I'm more than I you know I was kind of three or four sessions in and I was talking about these various symptoms and he was like I think you might also have EDS and he was like but while you're still working while you're doing this while you've got the support of your family you're literally entitled to no more benefits you've got nothing there's nothing else I can give you um so he was like he was like do you want to do the test I was like what's the point is there any point you know so I was like no I just want to go home and sleep <laughs> so yeah I want a new condition called doctor fatigue because like, <laughs> yeah. I can't do another I can't do another visit I can't see another doctor. I yeah I mean oh god especially our um our general GPs general practice uh, practitioners they need to know so much so I completely understand but the amount of times it's longer yeah, I've had two doctors be like, you just on your period. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. period. Like decrease your life stress. That's like I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> does that work oh. for you? Like are it does that Yeah. I was, I was gonna yeah. Stress, like I'm you've had a history of depression, so you know, let's consider that as well. I'm like yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. And in fa I mean, in fairness, my diagnostic doctor, he was very good. Like, you could see that this was a room full of research. Like, he was trying the best he could with no funds whatsoever. And he just cut it straight to me. He was like, this is what's on offer. 
plenty of people think it doesn't work. Here's a list of a hundred things that people have said might work and have said help them see if it sticks. That's and that's what I got. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> exactly. But I tell a normal healthy person that they're like, that's so neglectful. I'm like, that's probably the most compassionate anybody's been. So <laughs> just the comparative there. Have you ever left your mental health history off of a thing for a GP just because like I'm just oh curious God, other people yeah. do this, but I do that. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah, for me as well. I have never had symptoms of anxiety until I had the postural tachycardia. So in my, I remember what it was like to not have anxiety. So I know what it feels like to be like, what the hell are they talking about? But I also know what it feels like to be like, why is something sitting on my chest? (laughs) So because I know it's the parts and not me, you know, it's not just a tendency of my brain. I'm so clear that it's my pots. And it always happens when I'm more tired. It always happens if I haven't had, you know, enough to drink, that kind of thing. So I just purposely don't, I almost don't even say it as a symptom until I trust the doctor. That's, um, I, I hear that viscerally. Like, I totally feel that. And it's such a question mark with my own child who's dealing with POTS as well of like, what oh. do we put on this form? Like, because when, you know, some presenting female and comes in younger, it's like, oh, it's mental. It's. Yeah, exactly. And it's like. Serious. Yeah. And it is mental. It's, it's such a huge task, but mm. they don't think about that mental side of it. And they just write it off as mental that they know, that they understand. You make such a good point there. <laughs> mm, yeah. Because so, it it's hugely mentally taxing. Yeah. I don't think people understand just how, like, especially like when you're talking about um, the, not recovery process, but the protocol. Sorry, my, my pills still have not kicked in yet. So we're, please forgive me as I'm like talking in circles. <laughs> like, just so let's get the pain level down from like an eight and a half to a seven so I can human. Um, I promise. Um, Do your best. (laughs) Goodness, I'm trying. (laughs) It was one of these wild mornings of like, I usually have my, like just the pills get taken at a certain time, but then I got a phone call from my child who was like, I forgot everything at home. Could you just, and I was like, I forgot everything. It was awful for brain. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that goes into like the mentally taxing part. That's where I was going with this. Thank you for sticking with me for that, that roundabout way to get to this. Um, I don't think people give the uh, protocol enough credit for how taxing protocol is like of all the things you're supposed to do to be a good patient. And um, that's, uh, (laughs) that's like a full-time job, at least yeah (laughs) to try and muddle your way through when you know western medicine doesn't have an answer but they're used to always having an answer and there's no protocol for them how are we meant to act like a patient who's receiving benefit when we're not we're being missed so yeah definitely so how did you do that? I, and please, uh, everyone, do not sue me. Do not sue anyone. Um, this is not medical advice. I'm just curious. You had a kind of different way of dealing with the protocol. Can you tell me a little bit about how you did that? And by the way, seriously, people, not medical advice. Talk to your doctor. And we're just having a discussion about our personal experiences. Um, are you, there's just a little clicking sound. I was just... Nope, not typing. Okay. Oh, it might it might be me tapping. Yeah, I am tapping. Ah, Sorry. The joy of Zoom. <laughs> Never no problem. Just wanted to ask. Um, so what was your way of handling is I've tried yeah. everything from like acupuncture to marijuana to like I, I finally just stepped out because I couldn't afford all the alternate treatments. Like what what did you do? Yeah. So I think for me, I was very fortunate in that my doctor was very good in understanding, you know, he was one of the main people who were trying to develop the, um, there's currently research into a development of a tablet in Norway, and it was going ahead when I was first diagnosed, and that's for ME, about the way that that the cells reproduce. They believe that it's actually something that's malfunctioning in the stem, in the cell production, rather than, and then it manifests to the brain. I'm not 100% so, um, but he was absolutely on the cutting edge of research, but his head was so far in the research, he couldn't really give any true treatment. He hadn't really been on the ground. He was there for the strategy. Um, But in fairness to him, he did say, try all these things, see if it sticks. 
if you want to be on the waiting list for this through the NHS, we can facilitate. If you want to do it quicker, go the other way. Um, and the waiting list is like six months. So some I waited, some I um, uh, went through private uh, at my own cost. But I mean, I tried everything. I feel like I tried everything. I did physiology, fit like physios, reflexology, chiropractor, Chinese herbs, um, Reiki, um, meditation, which really helped me in Venice, um, acupuncture. Did you say um, it really helped you in Venice or in? in, in no, in fairness. Oh, okay. Fairness. Like this is gonna be yeah. a really good chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. I also got to the stage where I was doing all these things that he suggested to me, but I hadn't changed anything in my life. I was trying to keep up everything of my old life, but have mm. all these extras thinking it will help. But that's the Western way to view it. Take a pill and it will help, but continue whatever you're doing. It's like, no, why have you got ill in the first place? And for me, a lot of it was coming from doing life in a way that I thought everybody else should be doing life, maybe not a way that suited me um, on top of, um, you know, living the London life, which is very hectic. It's a bit like the New York lifestyle. Um, you know, you don't really get any downturn and naturally as a human, I'm also quite introverted. So even London as a city is not really attuned to how I like to live anyway. And then add it on top is the illness. So I just kind of, looked at my life and was like, I need to stop comparing my life to other people's life because my body is not the same as their body. Mm. Um, and it just got to the stage where I'd made myself so ill from kind of working myself into the ground, keeping up with social engagements, you know, being a friend to other people and allowing them to lean on me and, you know, take something from my cup and my cup wasn't full. Um, that eventually I was just in bed with a gazillion infections everywhere. I could hardly walk. I could hardly see like my pops sometimes like makes it like the room spinning. And I felt like I was permanently on a roller coaster while I was in bed, which is great for like that 30 second of spinning feeling. You're like, Ooh, I'm on a roller coaster, but I'm talking like weeks. It's so frustrating. And it just got to the point when I was like, this has got nothing to do with the illness. Like this could have been stopped if I had let this stop. Um, so I realized that it wasn't really, as much as these uh, alternatives could help me, and they definitely did, it was more to do with what I'm putting in my body, how I'm using my body, and the way I'm reacting in my head to certain situations and stimulus. Um, so they were the biggest changes for me. So I kind of, when I could, I dove into audiobooks. I couldn't read because it just hurt my head too much. Um, but I think overall the things that were most helpful for me were Chinese herbs, completely changed my lifestyle. I had to quit my job, which took a job that was way less um, demanding of me. Um, also very fortunate that it was part-time working at home, part-time working in the office. And if I said, you know, I was too ill to work in the office, they'd let me stay at home, which is just a godsend. Um, Chinese herbs, diet, really strict diet, really, really strict diet. Um, lots of water, lots of meditation, lots of meditation, but also always making, I know it sounds great and I've still got it now. There's an ongoing joke in my house that like I'm a, um, martyr with sleep. And when it gets to 8.30, I'm like, the house is now quiet because there may be opportunity that I will be able to sleep. Um, so that was kind of the biggest things. And I just, as much as, you know, the diagnostic doctor was there and he's very frank he was very honest he was like we don't know good luck so you know what do you do with that and it, in a sense it made it easier for me to try out new things but the one thing I do think that I got very good at is being very tenacious in the fact that if something didn't work I was like well it's not that it's not working it's that it's not working for me um, so where do I look and be you know giving it a proper chance you know giving the diet that I took on kind of you know, a 10 week chance rather than a three week chance, which is a long time when you're suffering from chronic illnesses. But I think that was the one thing that really allowed me to give everything a good shot. That's the only thing that I can think of the difference because I felt like I tried hundreds of things genuinely. Yeah. yeah. So how do you Very make that choice on like, you're trying something, it doesn't seem to be working. How do you make the choice to either continue it to give it a fair shot or to just go, you know what, this is just not what's going to work for me? Well, I mean, obviously there's constriction of finances. 
um, at the end of the day, if you're doing something that's costing you, you know, $120 a week, you're going to be looking at it with, you know, a bigger eye than something that's maybe a diet change. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I tried reflexology, which helped me slightly, um, but it, there was there was no real noticeable change. And because I had acupuncture and I knew how much acupuncture helped me, are you okay? That was just a, an elbow going out. It'll come back. Oh. In. <laughs> um, uh, because of the benefit that I saw in the acupuncture, I knew what I was looking for. So I was like, this isn't doing it for me. Yeah. I loved acupuncture. It's just so expensive. And it was yeah. so far from where I lived and I just Me physically took the journey. So there was some way, so I used to have it on the Saturday, so I didn't have to do it after work. So I'd be too tired. So that would be what I did on Saturday. Acupuncture. I hear that. Yeah. I used to take a, yeah. I ran my own business. So I would take Thursdays off and I would go to, uh, that was just my day. It was traveling to yeah. acupuncture coming back. And I think it actually let me work longer than I would have otherwise. Yes. Absolutely. And it just gave me this, and I, for, I'd leave the acupuncturist and be like, oh my God, this is what a normal human being feels like every single day. Oh, this is so great. Um, too, and then huh? after like, bit, I would yeah. leave and I'd be like, oh my gosh, it felt like my body did a reset, but it would only yeah. be like six to eight hours and I'd be back to where I was before. I was just about to say, it wouldn't last till the end of the day for me. It was about yeah. six hours and be back where I was. I was like, well, it's a Saturday. I was going to sit on the couch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to do anything productive. And, and as soon as I had the energy, I was like, oh, save it, save it. So that's yeah. another question is you have like a mm. lot of stuff you do. How do you make that choice of like spend the spoon, keep the spoon? Yeah. So I'm very, very fortunate. While I was at home, I was diagnosed in remission of ME. So now the main one I'm juggling with is POTS. Um, and to say that I have more spoons is an understatement. Like I won the lottery comparative to what I had. Um, but I still have to be more aware and people still notice, you know, she's got an illness, she's doing things differently. Um, but for me, I really plan, I'm really good at planning ahead. And, and also I'm not jealous when I see healthy people be able to do more things than me. I'm no longer jealous. I used to get really jealous. I used to see it. I used to really wallow in the unfairness of it. Mm. And it's like, well, it's not unfair. This is just life and life is unfair. And this is the card you've got. Um, so in terms of deciding on a spoon, it's exactly what I want to do. Basically. That's and, really cool. Yeah. Where you, yeah. You get to spend your spoon how you want to spend. And I reading through your notes was amazing. It was almost like a self-help book, honestly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your blog and your notes and I love what you're talking about with like letting go of what other people think your life should be yes but they really don't even necessarily care what that's supposed to be or not not in a cruel way but or hopefully not a cruel way but like you have to make these choices for you regardless of what what someone else is doing and you travel all the time and I don't want to lose this opportunity to ask you about <laughs> spoony traveling um, I know you don't like the term life hack I am sorry my brain's not working properly so I'm just going to ask <laughs> what are your travel hacks for like dealing with um and I don't know what medications you're on and I just want to make a quick sidebar note for if you're listening and you are a traveling spoonie, there is an episode I did with Kiros. He had gotten arrested because of the medications he had, um, and he thought he had done everything legally. Please listen to that episode. I will link it in the show notes. But please, 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 at least go to our show notes on this one if you're thinking about traveling and you have a lot of medications, because it wasn't even the medication I thought that he was on that he would have gotten stopped, arrested, and held <laughs> in another country. Really? So. Um, I don't know what, what wow. medications you're on for this, but um, can you give me some like hacks on like between just getting to the, the traveling place, traveling and like what you pack? Yeah, of course. So in terms of planning a trip, I always consider the flight time because flying for me is really taxing. Uh, the pressure changes. I just, after I'm dead, uh, it's so I always have to consider that. I'm obviously always traveling with compression socks. Um, I always Google just in case if there's a wheelchair on the other side when I arrive, if there is, if there isn't, you know. Um, and if there isn't, I then have to pretty much not do anything the day before, whereas I can do something the day before. If they do have a wheelchair there just in case, I've only, have to use, I've only had to use a wheelchair twice, which is good. 
Um, I do travel with medication. I travel with a, I don't know the brand name in the States, but in Australia, it's called Axit. It's a antidepressant that just really helps me um, be able to regulate my sleep. Mm. Um, in terms, of, it's really helped with my heart palpitations, uh, which has been great. And, you know, I started when I started this journey of being very ill, I just popped every pill going just to keep going. So I think that's kind of the final remains of the drugs I will be taking. I do occasionally take painkillers. I do have prescriptions for painkillers, but I always carry my prescription notes with me uh, whenever I do travel anywhere, because I know I have asked before to see people have asked me because also I travel around with like a bag like this. So they're like, why have you got that many pills? Are you going to kill yourself in our country? It's like, no, just living, just trying to enjoy. <laughs> actually. Yeah, exactly. Just to live. <laughs> um, so, but in terms of the amount of pills I take, it's really not that many. You know, I used to be taking seven or eight a day. And at most now I take maybe two. So that's great. Um, but in terms of hacking with travel, there's no hack. You have to be the most organized version of yourself. And if you forget something, tough luck, you're going back. You can't forget things. Um, particularly, say, for example, if I go out for a day and I don't bring any water. Well, I mean, that's never going to happen. I always bring water. If I don't bring enough water, um, then you know, it's like, well, hang on, we're not going anywhere until we find another source of water. Um, and my partner here hates, he's like, don't use single use plastic. I was like, single use plastic or me fainting. I'll try my best to recycle it afterwards. Um, but the main thing is just planning and just, you know, knowing what's reasonable for your body. So say, for example, I go to a country, people will walk 15, 20 kilometers a day trying to see everything. I, we can't do that. I can't do that you pick one or two things and you have a good time doing those things rather than be absolutely exhausted because as I, even, I just said it yesterday because I'm planning a trip to Asia this year do you not want to try and do everything well no because four years ago I could do nothing so even the fact that I've got 50% of that is already so much better than what I had the option of before um, so it's really just changing the expectations and never comparing to a normal backpacker <laughs> never compare and they're like you're staying at an airbnb i'm like i'm not staying at an airbnb i'm just being allowed to sleep for 24 hours no um, yeah. yes <laughs> i yeah. hear all of that that's um, one of the big things that we had to learn was that we just um especially because i travel with my my child and yeah. my partner and so the three of us will sit together and we're actually going to be leaving soon and we each come up with two awesome. things, like only two things that are, we would be so bummed if this didn't happen. And then the rest yeah. of it's just this roll of the dice of like, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly, exactly what I do as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, I wasn't going to have this opportunity four years ago. So what's the difference? Like, it's great. This isn't awesome. The fact that I'm even here, the fact I can even step on the plane, it's awesome. So, and also one hack, actually one hack that I will say is I travel everywhere with um, swimming earplugs and an mm. eye mask and my compression socks. So I look like a princess while I sleep, but I'm like, nah, sleep hygiene. It's great. I'm all about sleep hygiene. So yeah. Um, goo or noon or do you guys have goo or noon? Every everywhere? day. I do it every day. Like, always in my purse. And I also yeah. have like, a salt shaker in my purse too. I just do salt shots with like yes. water. <laughs> yeah. I always, yeah, me too. And obviously everybody that doesn't understand is like, oh, that's so bad for you. I'm like, no, again, this is good for me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. And do you also like, I hate how much more money it costs, but it's absolutely oh, imperative because I have to usually use a wheelchair or cane. Um, but single flights, like I can't do stops. Yeah. Because, like to get out of the plane, <laughs> to get the wheelchair oh, there. Yeah. I can, man I can imagine. Yeah. And when also when it's, so I, I can manage stops, but when they're like, oh, it's a long stopover. And I'm like, yeah, but like, what if it's delayed for another two hours there? And then I don't get in until that time. Like, these are things that is like a little bit of an inconvenience to a healthy person, but it, it changes my whole week. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to do that. Um, 
So yeah, it, it definitely makes me a slightly more panickier traveller, but I only ever, but in the way that I only ever panic my health. As soon as I realise I'm not going to get enough sleep or I'm not going to get enough water or I'm not having food at reg regular intervals and I don't have access to salt, hypothetically, I'm, that's when I'm like, no, we're going here and we're doing this now. Um, but it, it's just all my panic about my health. Yeah. Oh gosh, you brought like two things up that I'm going to try really hard to remember which one I want to ask you about. So I will okay. try to get to them. You brought up one point that is near and dear to my heart as I like to think of myself as an environmentalist, as an activist, but I'm sick. And the single mm. water bottle use, the straws, like all of it, I feel like is almost, and like I need Amazon. I hate Amazon. I need them. Yeah. Um, it's almost like yeah. this like attack of like my values versus ability to survive. How do you walk that line? couldn't agree more um i usually go with i plan as best i can i have two, reusable two one liter bottles of water so i pretty much am set for like a seven hour period wherever i am um i try my hard we, we're very very fortunate in australia they're so on it in terms of uh, not using single plastic being able to go to the source and the you know big bulk products in plastic in uh, brown paper bags that kind of thing but when I'm traveling I see it and I'm like, oh, like I remember one time I was in the Philippines and I was wanting pineapple um and they had put salt on it there they put chili salt on it um and he what well, yeah that's my snack now I'm gonna try this that's yeah, just amazing. yeah it's awesome <laughs> so good um and he gave it to me in plastic bag i was like no 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 plastic bag so i had it in my hand like there are times where i'm like this is is this too much i don't know what's going on <laughs> but yeah i really do try my hardest and every flight that i take i offset it um i've got a contact with a conservation trust in the uk you know so i try my hardest in that way and if it means that it costs a little more or it takes a little longer i'm happy to do so but at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, if it's a state of emergency for my health, my health comes first, um, which makes me very angry that I have to choose between the two. Uh, but that's just you know how it is. It's frustrating. Um, mm. Yeah, really I, frustrating. I feel that frustration. Also, like one of the frustrations I have is um, the extra cost in being sick, in especially traveling, oh like the amount of Uber versus like i i can't do yes. the metro i can't do the um i forgot what the, the underground for london yeah, um, I, just how much more expensive it is and how scary oh my it God. it's so much more expensive yeah accommodation and, you have to go like accommodation <laughs> you have to consider is it quiet has it got this has it got that is it easily can you easily walk to the toilet can you do this can you and before you know it you've nearly doubled the price and people are like oh my god you're paying so much like i don't want to do that and also you're not with the people for me particularly um when i'm backpacking they'll be like oh come with us i'm like i can't yeah like, just flat out you know i have to have a week alone um so it is very expensive and even people recognize it when i go out for meals because i'm celiac so people are like oh you have to pay more for your meal but it's so unfair i was like this doesn't even touch the sides i'm fine with an extra dollars for a pizza everything else like so expensive but they don't see that they don't think about that and in fairness until i was ill i don't think about it either so yeah. i always think about it it's like um, i don't know if you're a neil gaiman fan but he wrote this amazing book called Neverwhere, and it was like there's this London above and London below, and it all exists like next to each other. And until you fall into London below, you don't know that it's existing. It's just little things that you kind of like notice out of the corner of your eye. I feel like chronic illness is like that, like especially with wheelchairs. Yes. Like there's so much now that pisses me off. That I'm like, oh, I probably did that too <laughs> before yeah. I got a wheelchair. Oh my like, god, yeah, same stuff. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I remember there was an article I read about a lady who has chronic chronic migraines I can't remember the piece it was so beautifully written but she spoke about kind of a kingdom of health and a kingdom of illness mm. and how it's so it's so interlaced and yet the kingdom the kingdom of illness spend the whole time considering the kingdom of health but the kingdom of health don't even realize that the kingdom of illness is there I was like that's so true so it's true actually true about a lot of things like from poverty to racism to oh yeah like, if you're not in that group it's it just doesn't quite click in on exactly yeah. what people are talking about. It's like one of the things yeah. I love about Twitter and social media is it's allowed like this window. If you're willing to like, listen, there's this window that opens up where you're like, Whoa, that's what you're dealing with. Oh my gosh. Like, yes. Oh my God. That is so true. And I, 
I always used to have it where I'd be like looking at Twitter, obviously just to find support. Yeah. I'm just looking at messages where other people are having a similar time to me. And, um, you know, I was living with my parents to get better um, for a time when I was uh, had a job there. And um, they were like, oh, don't go on your phone. It's really bad for you. You need to do a digital detox it's not good for you and I'm like I promise you this five minutes looking at my screen will help my help mental health so much more than it will damage it but again because they you know they've never been in that kind of bracket of illness they have no idea you know the, the loneliness of it um so yeah that's a that's one of my pet peeves in the world is this obsession with technology is bad like just this yeah. out of hat idea that we're wasting our time, like going on Facebook and Twitter or Instagram or that, like I get a lot of flack because I let my child spend a lot of time on a tablet because my child loves to make graphic novels and animations. I'm like, cool, it's a tool. You're using it correctly. Well done. Like, yeah, um, it's like a great hobby. Right. <laughs> and um, my child also has chronic illness. So I'm also trying to be understanding of, hey, this is like, this is our, we call it our darling slug days. We always have. It's, uh, we curl up and we watch Jane Austen movies or Blackadder or like, oh, we're basically BBC so fans over here. And, uh, <laughs> and then we draw and we do art projects. And we've done that since, since my littlest was like two but it's um, oh that sounds so great it's really lovely it's it was a lot of um learning how to a lot of what you just had talked about of um you can't look at how someone else is doing something and try yeah. to put that as your bar that can't be your bar I couldn't be the mom who was going to be like let's go play tag and let's go yeah. run and let's go hike all weekend like if that wasn't who was I could be like yeah so what yeah so you've got the yeah exactly you've got the cards you dealt with so am I going to be miserable that I haven't got somebody else's cards or I'm going to use these cards yeah no you um you made such a great point in one of your requests I seriously love your answers um and you're talking about life decisions and yeah yeah you're talking about like how like most people get to go heart brain and like there's this reshuffle for chronic illness Absolutely. I think, I don't actually remember what I wrote. I can't remember what I wrote now, but I think there's a, yeah, read, read part of it out to me. I remember. <laughs> don't worry. Um, that's why I keep show notes here and I have my written notes over here to like keep me. Sane. <laughs> well, sane is a relative concept. Yeah. <laughs> um, you had written uh, to bring up the feeling of needing to do life in a certain way. Um, I know lots of people relate to this. I think a large area of health suffer from. Uh, trying to conform. Um, in life, you're forced to either consider decisions head versus heart, but in chronic illness or disability, you never factor in the body. When you're ill, you have to go head versus heart versus body and try to decide like which one of those shuffles in where. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, that's a good point. I'll remind you how smart money. you are today. I'm right here for that. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, no, that is very true. And I know, I know the reason that I um, said that is because I was with my sister, she's currently at university and um, they're all riddled with anxiety. Um, and they're all 21, absolutely gorgeous. You know, they've got world's are oyster and all riddled with anxiety, just comparing each other, continuously comparing each other to one another. And I'm like, you're so lucky to even be able to compare yourself to one another. My, I wouldn't, and obviously that sounds so ridiculous because you shouldn't compare at all. But like, I don't even have the opportunity to think, oh, <laughs> I don't even have the opportunity to think with my head or think with my heart or make those kind of decisions like a normal human being because I just think about my body continuously. It goes first all the time. Even when I'd love to only use my heart, you know, in relationships point of view I have to think about my body and even when I only want to use my head like how can I use the skills I've got through university and I've got through this experience and how can I apply them to you know work and be progressive it's like no which job can I do with mm. my body you know oh so literally. <laughs> yes literally. and people forget I forget that I think I mean they don't know that but that's what I found as soon as when people are making decisions about life, I'm like, I wish I, I wish I had that decision, but you know, I don't. So yeah. 
everything body comes first every single time it's a very cruel reality my husband and i were mm. driving somewhere and we just i was looking at the side it wasn't a jealousy thing it was more of a curiosity thing i've been sick mm. since i was eight so i've always had to have oh. this going in my head but yeah. just i was watching this couple just walking up a hill and it was just like it was their saturday walk and i just looked at my husband i'm like what would that be like like, I'm just curious, what would it be like yeah. to wake up in the morning and just be like, let's just go for a walk. And there wouldn't be a consideration of like, what happens when I dislocate my knee on this walk? What would happen for the next week? Would I be able to take care of anyone else during the week? Because I have people and animals who rely on that. Like, it was just such yes. an interesting idea for just a second of what it would be like. And yeah. And I think for me as well, because I did. Yeah, exactly. And when I got ill, because I got ill when I was 20, I knew what that was like. So I think it was even harder to give up the heavy heart battle and then add body into the equation of I'm, I just wallowed in the wallowed in the grief of having to do it. There was a lot of mourning, um, but now it just goes without saying. My body comes first. So how did the mourning process work for you? Oh, so much grief. It was <laughs> it, oh, it was. I really was just wallowing it for in it for a time. It was awful, um, and it went through days of well, this is what I've got to do. You know, strength is no longer what I thought strength was. Strength is perseverance and this you know this quiet way of you know going down a path that you haven't even made that's your own. Um, but every so often I would see a friend go out and do something and be like, oh, I've had a really, really bad day. I had this, this, this. And it's like, your day was great. Shut up. Uh, so there's a lot of spite at the start. Um, so I think that was not handled as correctly as it should be. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're all human. Um, but I, I think a lot of it was helped by cognitive behavioral therapy that um, was suggested to me by my doctor, which was a great suggestion. Um, it maintained a real calm in my head. Um, and it almost, it almost feels like I've taken off a lot of layers of, in that morning process, I've taken off, off a lot of layers of what I thought people thought I was. And now I'm just who I am. Oh, very, yeah. That's so a lot of, I thought, moment there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought a lot of, you know, what made me me was how people viewed me. And at the end of the day, even as you said at the start of the uh, conversation, people don't really care. So just do what you want to do and be yourself. Um, and I had a lot of wallowing, like, well, who am I? I don't even know who I am. So I think it was, that was the grieving process for me. Like, who am I with this illness? Because a lot of what made me me I wasn't allowed to be anymore. God, that's that's one yeah. of the hardest questions all of us little creatures are trying to answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who, exactly. what is that? Like, um, I don't know if you ever saw Fight Club, but I thought that was one of the best yes. about like, when you strip everything away, what are you? Yeah. Oh my God, it's such a great film. Right. Great reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I absolutely agree. And people even say it to me now. They're like, you just so rock solid and it's like oh god you've got to realize i'm not but i'm just a lot further on because it's almost like the illness like puts it in ster on steroids almost of well you can't do that you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this so it's like well hang on what you know you've got to find value in somewhere else and you you really have to spend a lot of time sitting with your thoughts because you spend a lot of time sitting in a dark cold room um so yeah you learn a lot horrifying or, oh gosh I'm gonna mangle the quote horribly but um it was basically <laughs> the idea that life will teach you like it's cruel and it's brutal but experience will teach you <laughs> like yes unfortunately yeah it will do and yeah I couldn't I couldn't imagine having this since I was eight years old even going through this as a kid because you almost don't even know what normal you're very very aware of what other people are doing I don't, yeah, hats off. May I, I just know. say it's way easier. I, 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 at least for me, it was, I, I don't know how you all do it. Um, all of you who start like having these problems as an adult, as like, you know, I, 
I don't know how you guys manage it because if you don't know anything different, it's just yeah. like, well, that bites that everyone else can run and I can't. And <laughs> that bites that I have to miss three months of school. Like it just, it just kind of yeah. becomes like, that's your life where yeah, you guys true. have like expectations before that. And that's, that's insane to me. I've always had to plan my life as a sick person. Like that was never healthy was never going to be an option. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you guys, you're all rock stars as far as I'm concerned. That's amazing to me. I think we're all rock stars managing it. Right? <laughs> all of us. So you have something in, um, like, the things that your your family and coworkers had said about your illness of, like, mm. when are you going to stop this? And then, yeah. like, that, that was a, a hit to the gut. But you said something about your sister. Mm. I was wondering what your sister did for you that really was helpful and supportive. Yeah, so I think one of the things with mine was I would have really good highs and I'd have really big troughs. So people from down, and I don't know how to predict them, and I don't know, you know, one day I might walk to the park and the next day I'll be fine. One day I might walk to the park and I'll have to be there for three days. I have no control over, I mean, as you well know, you know, I have no control over what happens from one day to the next when you're particularly ill like that. So people would see me one evening and I'm like, oh, I feel good. I can walk to the tube stop. And then another evening I'm like, I'm dead. Like I'm going to have to lay down in the toilet for half an hour. And then I tell people, they're like, what? Hang on, yesterday you were fine. Um, so I think because there was so much disparity about how good I was and how bad I was, um, they were like, when are you, when are you going to better? When are you, what's going on? When have you, you, have you stopped faking yet and obviously you're doing it as a, they're obviously doing it as a joke and if they truly knew how how ill I was they wouldn't say it, they wouldn't have said it um but my sister when I got home I'd complete at this point I'd completely admitted to be I'd given up my social life I'd given up I had a relationship at the time that just wasn't working because the illness I gave up my job um and I was like I've got nothing I felt as if I had almost nothing left and then there was times where, so obviously you assume your elders, your parents are going to have expertise and empathy and understanding. And I really felt like at times that they didn't. And it's not for their lack of trying, but they are very much of the convention of what normal strength is to able people to keep going, perseverance, do this, do this. And my sister is, you know, accommodating to everybody she's quiet she's kind um and I remember there was one evening where I was in my bed I was like migraine my head was spinning um and I remember saying to mum please can we not have people over because our house is very open so if there's even if there's any I can hear like a spoon turning in a cup of tea if I've got a really bad migraine that hurts um so I was like please don't have anybody over she goes, oh, we've got to have them over. It's around Christmas time. Oh, we're going to have them over because um, our family friend is really busy. So she can't have it at her house. Having it at our house. I was like, no, I'm asking nicely, please don't do that. Anyway, I go up to the room because I can't argue, obviously, because uh, I'm too tired. Um, and I head up there and I'm just kind of sitting there with just eyes streaming. Like, I just didn't know what to do. I was like, how else can I explain? My own family don't believe it. They don't understand it. How else can I explain it? And I remember my sister, who was 17 at the time, who couldn't stand up to anybody for herself if her life depended on it, goes downstairs and they were like, and she goes, are you serious? You've got a daughter and you're choosing your daughter's health comparatively to someone needing to wrap presents. Are you serious? And you can hear, you can hear mum going, well, that's, well, that's a really bad way to look at it. And she was like, how actually I look at it then? And now she was like, just listen to her. And I've never heard Jasmine, I've never heard my sister ever raise her voice. And I was like, how can a 17 year old with only 17 years in this life be so empathetic and yet everybody else around me have no awareness of it. And yeah, it just absolutely blew me, blew me away. It made me realize that anything is possible. <laughs> I did never thought she'd do that. Um, and that, you know, she might be more than, you know, just nice and nice to Jasmine. And she more, might have dealt with more than we thought she dealt with, you know. She's a huge empath. And I only realized that then because she was the only one that even mildly understood. 
you know, having an advocate is such an important thing. It's, you, you're so right. Oh. There's just a certain point where it's like, no, matter how much you need something, you can't fight for it anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I couldn't raise my voice when they were saying, no, nah, like, don't worry, or we'll keep it quiet. I'm like, you won't keep it quiet. Even putting a pan in the oven for food is loud. But I, I felt like I didn't want to say anything because I was waiting for the rejection. Mm. As awful as that sounds, I was like, they're not going to understand. If I explain that that hurts me, they'll feel I'm being melodramatic because three days ago it didn't hurt me. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really eye opening to see that actually how somebody, my parents were both around 60 at the time, 120 years of life between them. They can muster the empathy and understanding for it for someone, but someone who is 17 could. So yeah. They're saying about this next generation coming in that is just rocking my world with their ability to have empathy and me too and i think as much as yeah me too as much as they're um all dealing with anxiety because they're constantly comparing themselves uh, to each other and i think that is related through social media i think in a sense they've got so much more awareness of everything i mean when i was i when i was 17 i didn't know the extent of global warming and i we've got people back at home that can just riddle off facts about global warming and what they do personally i remember seeing a seven-year-old kid tell a daughter tell his mum the other day not to use a plastic bag when she was getting apples you know and i don't think that could be done through if there wasn't social media so i think that's where it's coming from there's a lot of positive to social media that i i don't think we've quite tapped into because it's um it's a knee-jerk reaction. It was, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm old enough, I'm also a historian. So I've watched, I looked through back through history and you can go all the way back to Socrates saying the same things we're hearing now. We've just found new and interesting yeah. ways to do the same things we've always done. Like exactly. we want the same yeah. things, we're scared of the same things. We've just found new and interesting ways to deal with all of that. Absolutely, couldn't agree more, yeah. Well, we've gotten to an hour and I do oh, want to make yeah. sure that we, we do fit in the one question you wanted to answer. So, um, yes. And I do want you to stay on after we sign off because I, I do want to ask you a question off air. But um, of course. you asked about uh, symptoms that you face that you no longer face. Ooh. Symptom that I face that I no longer face. Did I have an answer for it? No, <laughs> which is why I was asking it. <laughs> But if so, you don't have that answer, I'm hoping to ask you back on the show. So. I don't, I'm a symptom that I face that I no longer face. The only thing that I can think of that would, I could think that I was thinking when I said that would be the choice that I have, the choice that I have now, now I'm in remission um and i feel as if i had this feeling of confinement and i still have that feeling of confinement i am not healthy i'm not well and i still have that feeling of confinement and yet i feel i have so much more opportunity than i had previously so i guess that's what i was talking about i answered those questions so long ago i answered them back in like august i think i think you did <laughs> i'm so sorry about that if Don't you want worry. to be best on this show, remember that the two people running this show are um, very sick, so we yeah. do have problems with like our upkeep and time. Oh my god, my, me- my memory is atrocious. It's I can't. I'm, I'm the worst person with names as well. I used to be really good at that. Terrible with it. So yeah. You know, of all the things that like make me feel super guilty and I have lots of them as a mom, it's the memory stuff because the kids are always like, do you remember when we, I'm like, "Mm, sorry. (laughs) And it's like that weird thing because like historically moms are supposed to be the memory keepers of everything. Like I feel like I've totally fallen down on that one. Absolutely. And I think for the, the worst one for me as well is feeling like I'm holding people back, even though I know I'm not holding people back. They're wanting to do it. They're wanting to offer to not do as much with me. I can't but feel that that's the killer for me. Someday we're going to have to do a panel on like all of that. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Oh, thank you so much for dealing with all the scheduling and technical issues. And I'm You're so more than welcome. On. Um, yeah, I'm super happy 
Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. This was such a blast. Um, everyone who's listening, please head over to show notes. I have everything linked up. Plus, we both have a very similar like dark sense of humor with BBC shows. So <laughs> I linked up all the yeah. BBC shows that uh, you had mentioned and some incredible books. And I also linked up some of their TED Talks too, because those were way too good not to put in. Um, awesome. Baby has an amazing website full of all sorts of great information and tips. I have that linked up at the top. So please always go visit our show notes. I have all of it there. Um, I can't even think anymore. So I will just sign off with uh, be, okay. kind, be gentle and oh, wow, with everything that's going on in the world, be a badass. We, we, can, we can do it in any way that you are possibly able to be. Whatever that looks like for you, be a badass. Have a great week, everyone.